Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this past weekend. It may not have been a card all that much worth talking about. Lots of cancellations, lots of changes. But the good news is, is we've got a nice fresh card this weekend coming to you from Vegas again. Headlined by an exciting heavyweight contest between Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek. We, of course, will be breaking down that fight as well as two other really exciting fights on that card. It's part of our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment where we're also going to give you an underdog that we think you should play and a parlay where you can get some plus money on some great fighters. So make sure you check that out later in the show. But, of course, first we'll be talking with three of the fighters, actually two of the fighters on that card, and one from the Contender Series, which is coming up soon. We're going to be talking to Justin Janes, who gets ready to try to make it 2-0 in the year. Then we're going to be talking to Yusuf Zawal, who's trying to come up with his third win in 2020. So, exciting guys on the fight card this weekend. Then, we're going to be talking to Impa Kasangane, who is fighting at the Contender Series on August 11th which is his second time on the Contender Series. He's going to be talking about trying to get that contract this time. So we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. Alright, and joining me now is Justin James, who fights Gavin Tucker at UFC in Las Vegas. They're calling it UFC Vegas 6 between Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek. Justin, I wanted to start by talking about your last fight, because obviously you take it on super late notice. You take it against a guy in Frank Camacho, and you knock him out quick. Everything seems to have gone 100% to plan. What Did we see the best Justin James in there? No, man. He only got to see 40 seconds, man. It's... You know, I like to say that, uh, you know, there, there's so much more in my repertoire than just hitting people with big left hooks, although that is, you know, some of my favorite stuff to do. But, man, I have, you know, I, I wasn't able to demonstrate anything of wrestling or grappling or any kickboxing for that matter. So I really think you're going to see you can't say, you know, 41 seconds, how you're going to see the best of anybody. But, you know, I was really satisfied. You can never be uh, you can never expect that to happen. You know, going to get someone as tough and as, and as good as Frank Camacho, man, I just happened to throw the right punch at the right time and uh, knock Frank out. Well, and I was going to ask you that, too. He had only been knocked out once in his UFC career, and it was to Jeff Neal at welterweight. H- had that dawned on you after the fight, too, that you had just done what only, well, nobody at 155 pounds had done? Uh, I actually didn't know that until uh, right now, so that's, that's that's actually pretty cool. I'm pretty uh, pretty happy with that, man. You know, as, as I like to say, is I hit as hard as a welterweight, you know, and I've always said that, you know, being being short, you know, and I have shorter arms, you know, and uh, I can turn those punches over. And if I land a left hook or an overhand right or any kind of punch, it's, it's going to hurt my opponent, no doubt. Now, now, you obviously mentioned your wrestling and your grappling. I've seen some of your regional fights and seen some really slick submissions out of you. Do, do you plan on implementing more of that, too, here? Do, do you try to, to show a more complete game? Well, you know, it's 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 funny how the fight game works, man. You know, I have a bag of tricks, and uh, I pull out my tricks as needed. You know, I, I, I don't like to, to show off, you know, any tr- uh, unnecessary tricks that I don't need to because, you know, maybe in the next fight I'll use it. So, you know, I take it step by step and uh, – you know, minute by minute or play by play, for instance, it's like the Patriots, you know, they don't, they don't come out and, and, or a football team, not just the Patriots, but they don't come out and do all their trick plays, you know, in the first quarter, you know, and expose themselves, you know, as the, as my career goes on and, uh, you know, I fight more guys, 
you know, uh, they'll, they'll come out in time, but uh, I don't want to I don't want to expose myself too soon. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I, I got to ask, too, you, you know, you're fighting Gavin Tucker coming off of a knockout of Frank Camacho, who some people might say is even like a little bit more prestigious of the name of Gavin Tucker. And you took that one on short notice and one in 40 seconds when they gave you the name Gavin Tucker. Were you disappointed that it wasn't a bigger step up? Uh, not at all, actually. Uh, you know, Gavin, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know who Gavin was and it's not, I'm not talking, this is not a, a, a slap at him by any means. I, I didn't know who he was, but after watching his fights, man, Gavin's tough. He's super fast. He's very crisp. He has great striking. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He has incre- his last fight, incredible wrestling. Um, I, I think this is a very good test. And overall, I think Gavin might be one of the toughest guys, if not the toughest guys I've faced to date. Not to mention, I have to fight with the scale, too, to get down to featherweight for the first time in three years. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that, too. You know, you, you have been a really long time away from that. You fought a guy last time who was coming in at welterweight. H- how is that weight cut going? What has what it like been like trying to cut that weight down? You know, here's the thing is my mouth, my mouth rice checks. My body has to cash them, man. You know, I told Sean Shelby, I told Dana White that 145, 155, welterweight, I show up and I do my thing. So I was at the bar drinking beer after this last fight. My manager called and uh, he says, hey, we have Gavin Tucker in three and a half weeks. Do you want it? I said, well, can we get an extension for a week or two? I'm a little heavy. And uh, he's like, I'll call you back. Calls me back. And uh, he's like, no, it's this or nothing. You know, I told them I'm going to show up and I'm going to blow up. So, you know what? I'm doing it. Uh, my weight's looking good. I'm about 160 pounds right now. That, you know, weight cut's never easy, man. You know, all, all the years of high school and college wrestling, and I had 50 amateur fights, and now that was my 20th pro fight. Weight cutting is never easy, but I'll get the job done August 7th, and then I'll fight on the 8th. And, and now I'm curious, too, because, you know, a lot of fighters, the, the tendency now seems to be going up in weight, to, to go up a weight class, you know, make the cut a little less on yourself, maybe get a little extra power, things like that. What what sort of inspired you to decide that you wanted to go down? What what inspired you to say, you know, featherweight makes more sense to me? Uh, it's not, honestly, that it makes more sense. Uh, I'm just the guy that when opportunity knocks, I answer the door, man. You know, I was 171 pounds when Jason uh, House called me to fight. He was, hey, man, we need to make, it was, it was like 9 p.m. Wednesday. He's like, we got to get your medicals done. I'm thinking, I said, all right, well, I'll start cutting weight on Thursday at noon. I'll have all day and all night to cut. Well, let alone that little, uh, did I know that I had doctor's appointments from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. to get all my medicals handled. And I, and I thought I had most of them handled. Obviously, I didn't. Uh, so I start cutting weight at 8 p.m. till 3 a.m., uh, you know, then 6 a.m. till till the weigh-in time. Uh, with that being said, like I said, UFC asked me to make featherweight. You know, opportunity, man. I got, I got to answer the door, and I'm not just answering the door. I'm kicking that door in, and uh, I'm gonna do the best thing I can do. Well, I'm sure they love the the company man style. Now, I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of other things too, because you know, you you come out for your first time, you make a hell of an impression. But the thing that made an impression on me is when they they announce your name and they announce the Guitar Hero. I, I'm a junkie for knowing nicknames and where nicknames come from. You got to tell me the story. Where, where does Guitar Hero come from? Well, it, it stemmed back in college. You know, I had a pretty extensive amateur career. Uh, my first amateur fight was in 2007. And uh, the first couple of years of my amateur career from 2007 to 2010, before I started working really my boxing and my kickboxing, I was a very boring fighter. So I was always looking I was always looking to take guys down and look for rear naked chokes or ground and pounds. So I was trying to find a niche that people would be excited to see me fight Uh you know, so uh, I was playing Guitar Hero in my college dorm with my buddy Corey McAlice. We're drinking some beer, and 
he dared me or I, I believe he bet me or dared me that I wouldn't come out, you know, with a guitar hero like wrapped around my neck and uh, like big aviator sunglasses on and, uh, you know, kind of make a show before the show. Because uh, like I said, I knew my fights were boring, but I had to have a niche to where I wanted people excited to see me. And uh, even if my fights were boring, uh, at, at the regional circuit, especially in Michigan, people were always excited to see me because I was doing, you know, funny, silly shit. Uh, you know, like I said, I was the guitar hero a whole bunch of times. I came to Vegas. I did it. I wore a shirt that said, I shaved my balls for this. And I'd be <laughs> as I'm walking to the ring. If you check on my Instagram, J-A-Y-0-9-M-I, you'll see I posted a picture a couple weeks ago. Uh, me at Royal Oak Music Theater, which is a big music theater in Michigan. Probably a couple thousand people were there. And I have this guitar, and I'm, like, jamming to ACDC, walking out to the ring. And uh, the people loved it. And like I said, no one ever remembers that rear naked choke submission out hit. But they're always like, oh, dude, you're the guy that used to strum the guitar all the way to the ring. So I stopped doing that in, like, 2009. And I kind of, and that's when I started working with Kara Rowe and James Lee. And uh, Darren Kirkshank was my college roommate. Uh we uh, started working my kickboxing boxing. I kind of got away from it for a while. But when Bruce Buffer called me, the guitar hero, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I haven't heard this in 10 years. And, uh, you know, then one of the guys at UFC called and they asked if I want to keep it. And I said, the guitar hero lives, man. Justin, the guitar hero, James is here to stay. Oh, I, I love that story. Now, you know, before we get to a prediction and before I let you go here, too, I did also notice on your Instagram, which, once again, people can find at J-A-Y-O-9-M-I, uh, I noticed that your son is now training with you too. How did that come about and, and how long has he been training with you? Uh, it's on and off. It's like, you know, I, I don't want necessarily him to be a fighter, you know, but I do want him to be able to defend himself, you know, even from a grappling standpoint, you know, and, uh, it's just something that, you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be, when I was, uh, very young, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And then as I got a little bit older, I wanted to be a professional boxer because I'd seen Mike Tyson. And then I went back to wanting to be a professional wrestler. And, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old, I remember wanting to be a professional MMA fighter. And, uh, you know, just for him to see, you know, me training and how hard I've worked and how much time and how much uh, perseverance I've had to have over the last, uh, you know, 12 to 15 years, you know, through my wrestling in college, through my wrestling in high school, through my amateur career, through my pro career. Just I'm so thrilled about it. And, uh you know, it's it's always been a huge stress of mine these last couple of years because my son lives in Michigan and I live in Las Vegas and I moved out to Vegas to pursue this dream. So it, it just to know that he knows that his dad made it and how hard I worked and, uh, you know, how much time and effort and the sacrifice I made. And back to him training, like he doesn't really care for training. Uh, he does it because I want him to. Um, and But I don't push it on him. You know, it's I, I need him to stay in shape. I need to know how to defend himself. And, uh, you know, when it, when it comes down to that kind of stuff, it just, you know, he has to do something. We got to get him off the video games. We got to get these kids off the video games and get them in a wrestling room, get them in a grappling room, and and that's and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I want him off the video games. I want him getting on a mat, putting on a gi, do some wrestling, do some, you know, basic level boxing. Not to mention, it's fun to choke him out if he pisses me off. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I gotta ask too. Is, is it a little bit upsetting that you can't bring him to these fights, right? Like, you, you, it's your two fights into the UFC. None of your friends, none of your family has been able to attend it. How frustrating is that? You know, as for my friends and family, yeah, that's a, that's a bummer, man. But guess what? This is my job. You know, I don't show up at my friend's job and, you know, try to root for them. I think the biggest bummer for me is for him because I really want him to be there. I want him to feel the electricity of having that crowd cheering for me. And even at the apex, you know, although although there's nobody there, the, the energy – uh, of the production is just so awesome 
And, uh, you know, I've really tossed around having him in my corner as my third man. Um, I won't be doing it this fight, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if my next fight or two, uh, uh, he'll be there, hold my water bottle. And, and now you're, you're 2-0 in, in this year and in a very short period of time in the UFC. How, how many um, – or 1-0, sorry, 1-0. 1-0, this win would make you 2-0. How many times do you plan on fighting this year? Do you plan on having more fights uh, in 2020? Yeah, you know, I have a four-fight contract after signing with Frank. Uh, I, my goal was to 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 renew my contract by the end of the year, man. As long as I'm not injured, I'm ready to fight, dude. I've, this this signing this UFC contract has been remotivating, re-energizing. I'm refocused. My goals have all you know been remastered now, and I, and I'm ready to go, man. After I knock Gavin Tucker out within two rounds, uh, I'll be ready to go September, October, November, December, as long as I'm not injured. Well, you, you actually stole my last question from me, Ben, because usually I ask for a prediction. It, it sounds like knockout in the first two rounds. Do you have a, a way that you plan on getting that knockout? Are we going to see some ground and pound? How, how are you going to get him out of there? You know, I, I, I think I just have to land one good shot, honestly. I think uh, going down to featherweight, my power is going to be, again, I'm going to be hitting like a, wel- a welterweight coming in. I'm giving myself two rounds because of how, how good he is. And I'm not taking away from anything. I think Gavin Tucker is an incredible fighter. I think if if I get away from my game plan and start playing into his game because he's going to pot shot me and get away and, you know, he might try and make some wrestling exchanges, you know, he, he could win a boring decision. And that's my biggest concern is, dude, I'm not here for, to lose or win boring decisions. I'm here to knock people out. I'm here to hurt people. I want people like you and all of the other people talking about my fight for weeks and months on and excited to see me again. Nobody wants to see a boring a guy come in and win a boring decision. With that being said, I think within two rounds, I can figure Gavin out in the cage and I can land a big overhand right or a left hook and, and finish him. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Justin James who fights. Gavin Tucker at UFC in Vegas. They're calling it UFC Vegas 6, Lewis versus Olenek. Justin, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. I'll talk to you soon. And that interview with Justin Janes is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. No matter what martial art you train, whether it's boxing, kickboxing, sambo, judo, or jujitsu, they've got you covered with over 30 martial arts in their database. You can log training sessions, which is an awesome function. You can write yourself little notes, log competitions, weigh-ins, whatever it is you need to make sure you're on the right track. Maroon Social has got it. So download it wherever apps are downloaded. And joining me today is Yusuf Zawal, who fights Peter Barrett at UFC in Vegas, number six, Lewis versus Olenek. So, Yusuf, I wanted to start by talking about on your last win in your post-fight conference, I heard that you were talking about moving down to 135 pounds. Is that still part of the plan? Is that still something you're thinking about? No, uh, we talked to we talked to my coaches, my the, the testing and the PI and, and all that stuff, we just decided it's not, it makes no sense for us to go to 35 and really kill ourselves to, to, to even make not really, I want to fight more than twice a year, you know. I want to be able to take short notices anytime, and even though I'm in the UFC, I still want to take short notices when they come. So for me, it was a decision not to stay there, but obviously my strength conditioning changed, my diet is a little changed, so... A lot of things are changed, but besides training, training is still the same. But besides that, it's it's normal, basically. So all of that was health-based for the most part, too. Not necessarily, you know, the fact that, you you know, you're on a two-fight win streak. Did that play an effect to, to making the decision to stay at featherweight? 
not really, man. The the MMA sport is involving so much. It's like you can be the biggest guy and you still get your ass whooped. So for me, it's like I just want to be uh, the the best uh, MMA fighter I can be, and and we have the gym and we have the tools to do that. So for me, it was just more about our health, like you said. The health is the most important thing in this sport. We want to leave the sport with a, a healthy brain. Mm-hmm. And you said, dude, just now that you know you're trying to fight as many times as possible. You don't want to just fight two times a year. You're already 2-0 in the UFC this year. You're looking to go 3-0. How many times do you think you can fight a year? Hey, man, I'm crazy. I'll, I'll fight I'll fight six times a year, seven times a year. I don't, I don't care. It's like, uh, like you said, my fights, I'm very hard to, to get hit. You know, all my fights, I, I, I barely like got touched. So for me to go in there and, and come out healthy and ready to go the second fight or third fight. So it, for me, it's I'm, I'm just ready, man. I, I just don't care. So, uh, you know, obviously at, at 2-0, looking to be 3-0 and here, you're, you're looking to move up the division quickly, too, especially if you're going to fight seven times a year. I, I got to ask, though, when the UFC came to you with a name like Peter Barrett, who, who hasn't yet made his UFC debut, were you a little bit disappointed that you aren't moving up the ladder maybe a little faster? No, man, for me, it don't, it don't matter. You know, I was like, I know the UFC will, will give us uh, tough competition still and still, and Peter Barrett is still tough. It ain't no joke on competition. So for me, it was just taking the fight as, as they offer it. So for me, it doesn't matter if it's one fight, his first fight, his debut, I don't care. For me, it's a fight. Ready to have fun, just go from there. And then we'll move on. If they give me the number 15, I'll take number 15. If they give me number 10, I'll take number 10. At the end of the day, just, just a fight for me. Absolutely. Now, before we get to, to making a prediction about that fight and talking about the fight, I, I always like to ask fighters who come from countries who, who maybe don't have that many fighters in the UFC. You know, they have the uh, Ziatars from, from Morocco as well. But but for the most part, you're, you're the only Moroccan really in the UFC right now. I, I'm always curious, are, are you a huge celebrity in Morocco because of that? Do, do people know you? So people do know me, but I'm not I'm not a big, uh, I'm not, I'm not a big celebrity, but a lot of people do know me, but... Man, uh, for me, I, I just want to uh, show that to the Moroccans, man, it, it's it's really is possible for me. So that's why, and possible for everybody in Morocco that can be in the UFC and can be in a lot of places instead of they just want to be in Morocco. So for me, I love Morocco to death, but I want to get this opportunity for these guys to, to really get to fly to the U.S. and fight in the U.S. or fly out to Abu Dhabi and fight in Abu Dhabi. So that's what I kind of uh, want to do for this for this whole my journey. And, and out of curiosity, is the MMA scene big in, in Morocco, or, or is it a little bit smaller? And if it is smaller, how, how did you find yourself getting into MMA as a, as a youth? So uh, MMA is not that it's not big at all in Morocco. Like when I went back in October, actually last year, I went down there and really it, it's still not like barely MMA, no MMA and down there at all. It's all kickboxing and stuff like that. So for me, I uh, my MMA career started in the U.S. <laughs> Excuse me. For me, it, it, it like started kickboxing, 10 years old in, in Morocco, and came here and just did like kickboxing, and then started doing jiu-jitsu, and then from jiu-jitsu, obviously 18 years old, started doing MMA. But besides that, is it's there is no MMA in Morocco. So, so do you feel like? I mean, obviously, you said you're not famous. Some people know you. Do you think that's some of the reason that the MMA is maybe not so popular in Morocco? It's not just that, it's, it's the equipment and stuff like that. They never had it around, you know. It's all been a, a ring, a ring, fight, 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 and like kickboxing, kickboxing, kickboxing. So MMA was not really that big until a couple of years ago, you know. So it was not like making that noise that much anyway still. So 
that's why I feel like it, it hasn't gotten to that to uh, Morocco that much. Interesting. And now th- that's actually a, a question about your style then too, because you know you say you come from a kickboxing background, you come from a country who loves kickboxing. You're a pretty well-rounded fighter. We've seen quite a few takedown attempts out of you too. Like, do do you take pride in the fact that you are not at all like the base that you really started with, right? Like, you're not a pure kickboxer like we we might expect from somebody. And yeah, man, that's that's, that's exactly why. I, I don't want to be named as the guy is like, oh man, he did kickboxing. We gotta watch out for him. He's kickboxing. You know, it's like he's been doing kickboxing his whole life. Nah, man, I want I want to be the the guy. Like, I gotta watch out every single thing that he does. Like, it's not just Especially, like I said about the game, how how involved in the game is. It's it's super involving, and and for me it was very very different style that I have to come up with, you know, or my coaches have to come up with instead of just be like, oh, he's a kickboxer, watch out for his hands, watch out for his kicks. No, you fight me, you better be ready for everything. I I, I love that, and, and out of curiosity, when you were on the regional scene and when you were first getting your first MMA bouts. Did you feel the need to show off that other stuff too, to show that you just weren't a kickboxer? I, I needed to show that to myself, to be honest, not not to everybody, uh, anybody else. I don't like I. It's it's critics, critics, but at the end of the day, I'm I am my own worst or best critic. So for me to go out there and really show myself that I am not just a a kickboxer was was uh, pretty good to me and pretty satisfying, as they say. All right. Well, let, let's talk about the fight itself because you are fighting Peter Barrett, who's a tough guy. He's making his UFC debut. Are, are we going to see a lot of the kickboxing or are we going to see you mixing it up here and showing yourself and your toughest critic what you can do on the ground, too? Uh, you got to see us fighting. That's what you got to see. Us. I'll tell you that. It's like whatever the fight goes, it, it goes. But like I told everybody else, man, I, I really want to I, I really want to make a statement in this fight. Uh I know I have I have 30 minutes more experience in the UFC case than him, so for me to go out there and really show that I really learned a lot from those two fights and really grow so much from even though I took the fight on two weeks, two two and a half weeks, for me I wanna really get to show that like no matter what I still learn from those two fights and, and getting better and better every day. Absolutely. Now I am gonna ask you before I let you go to give me a prediction. How do you see the fight ending in, in your mind? My mind is it, gonna be a finish, man. Like I said, I'm going out there to 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 put a statement. We need to put a statement in this in this kid and show him that that that, that there is levels to this, and I'm really going up to the ladder. All right, we well, heard it here first, folks. This is Yusuf Zalal who fights Peter Barrett at UFC in Las Vegas, Lewis versus Olenek. Yusuf, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Brother, thank you for having me. In that interview with Yusuf Zalal is brought to you by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag for the best mobile gambling experience. Of course, you can get them online as well. But for me, I like to make sure that there is a good mobile app wherever it is I'm going to bet. Because let's face it, a lot of times you're sitting on the couch watching the fights. You want to make sure you have a nice, easy way to get that last second bet down. MyBookie has got you covered there. Plus, Their convenience doesn't stop there. They also accept cryptocurrency, give you deposit bonuses, and all kinds of other great functions. So check them out at mybookie.ag. And joining me now is Impa Kasangane, who fights Anthony Adams on week two of Dana White's Contender Series. It airs on August 11th. So Impa, I know this is your second time on the Contender Series. I want to ask you about the first time on the Contender Series what was sort of your feeling sitting in that room, kind of hoping you would get the contract and, and then facing the disappointment of not getting that contract? 
Man, I was, uh, I was grateful, you know, to win and to find a top prospect like Kevin Hill. So I was really happy and super excited about that. And it kind of didn't register right away. <laughs> I was like, oh, did he say no? But I was, at the same time, like I said, it never hurt to win until that day. But, man, it was pretty motivating, too. You know, like, to say, okay, well, we'll be back, we'll be better, so we're ready to work. I just remember, never forget, like, it was like a, thinking you earned the contract, you know, by the performance that we, we put together. But super excited still to see what's to come. Absolutely. Now, you said that, you know, it was disappointing to win. How do you go back to the drawing board? How do you go back to the gym and think about what you need to do to get better when you did win, when you, when you, and that win wasn't enough? Man, I just keep doing what we're doing. I've been, I'm young in the sport. I'm young in, the, in this life. I don't call it a sport, really, like this life of, this fight life, this life that I'm living. So for me, it was like that Monday when I got back in town from Vegas. I was right back to the gym, right back to work. There's so many things. I mean, for me, it's like consistently, constantly refining myself, yeah? Showing up every day to the gym, never taking a day off, even through quarantine, training, and working on my face, working on my, you know, my personal life, working on my fighting. You know, all of it together, I believe, is what helps me get better and, you know, helps me fight. And when I got back to the gym that Monday, I stood in front of the door, I gave myself five seconds to breathe, took a big breath, and walked right in, ready to go to work. And you know, I have great teammates like John Salter, Brian Barberina, Scott Holtzman, who fights this weekend, Joe Selecki, and just kept asking questions, what do I need to do? My head coach, Jeff Jimmo, like, challenges me, pushes me. Work with him some more. Work with him on this. Work with him in training. Like, any, any little question I can think of, anything I can do, watching films. So it's like, become that much more obsessed with what I love to do. And I know that's going to pay off in my fights and in the fights of the future. I, I love oh, I, I love that, and, and you mentioned a lot of you know big names there in you know Barberina and, and Holtzman and Salter. Did any of them give you advice in particular that like stuck with you during this training camp? Yes, sir, for sure. Keep uh, bringing the intensity, uh, and so, you know I don't know, even after the contender series last year, Brian Cornyn was like, take more risks, get after him some more. You know you can have more in you, and. So that's what we're looking to do this fight. You know, we're going to take more risk, get after it some more. I know I can, I can do better there. And I can, I can attack more, I have more tools, tools in the arsenal. So that's I went out to Salter's gym and uh, in Wilmington, and now we train together. And he comes here on the weekends, and we got a lot of just a lot of time to talk. It's, it's different, different ideas, you know, exchanging ideas about this is what you need to do, this is how you can do it. I did things that he would do. So just any bit of advice, like especially taking the risk to get him after, and then being me, having fun. I love to have fun. I love to fight. So it's like you're gonna be me even more. So, and uh, my coach, man, he says have structure and charisma. Structure and charisma, you know. Have the structure be this one in there, and then have fun being me. You know, let that let the charisma flow from my structure. I, I like the, all of that advice from from all of those different people in there. Now, I, I'm curious too: is that taking a risk partially more to 
you know, like needing to get the contract that you need to be exciting to, or do you feel like you could just be better in the cage if you were taking more risks? Oh yeah. Really being better. It's not really about like the contract, you know, the contract will come. I believe I'm keeping the fight, the fight, the main focus, they keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, being myself, like, I love to fight. I love getting in there and mixing it up. And I've had last fight, you know, like Kevin's an excellent prospect, you know, he's not too out 11 seconds. He had to respect what he does uh, or what he did and what he still does. But at the same time, being myself, being me, the one that's that fun, I want to get there and mix it up. And then that's taking the risk, you know, shooting the shots that you don't necessarily see fighters throw. And I think you'll see this fight. Um, like the fight before that, I had, it's kind of funny, I guess, I fought the LFA fight, but I was on the prelims, so it didn't get aired. You know, spinning kicks, you know, jumping, you know, spinning else, anything that, that has that charisma. But it's not because we're here to show off to get a contract. But I love martial arts, and I love the fact that these techniques do flow within the rhythm of the fight and, and letting loose, you know, letting loose being me. And that, that's kind of really is. I know, you know, I'm better now than I was then and showing that, you know, not, not looking like I was my former self, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, also, you know, I, I meant to ask, too, you know, the disappointment of not getting the contract is obviously huge, but also you've had three fights canceled since then, three more chances to prove yourself that haven't come to fruition. How, how has it been working through all of that time as well? Uh, it's actually a total of five, um, you know, after <laughs> so I had three fights canceled, a total of five canceled. But it was, it showed me that I love fighting more, you know? Today, oh, this fight's canceled. Back in the gym on Monday. This fight's canceled. Oh, keep working, keep training, put some weight back on. This fight's canceled. What, what, what could we do that we're messing up in preparation for this fight? Like, what was I messing up on the wall? What was I messing up in my striking? What was I messing up in my kids? Yeah, and in my wrestling. And all I did was go right back to the drawing board and say, Hey, time to start working again. Time to start working again. And we put the backpack back on and and move forward. I don't get caught up in, like, oh, I wish this fight could have happened, blah, 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 blah. Of course, I would love to fight, but if it doesn't happen, I got to put my faith in God and say, hey, God, I don't understand why this is happening. I'm not even sure if I'm happy about this, but I know the only thing I can do is do my job, get back to the gym. You know, I have two fights, too, and it, would be, it wouldn't be fair to them if I didn't show up because I felt bad about going on in my life. You know, like, I got to be, be there for them like they're there for me. Like, Scott, Brian. Yeah, like those guys will, they'll come out from Tennessee and work with me. Salty came back. So it's like, it's my job to help them. It's my job to show up. So that's all. That That's a great mentality to have. Now let's talk a little bit about this fight too. You're fighting Anthony Adams, uh, who's had his shot on the Contender Series as well. What do you know about him and, and what do you think about the matchup itself? And well, what I know about Anthony Adams, he's a good fighter. He's in for one. He's done his job. You know, he last fight he got a finish, which is awesome. Uh, I should have said he's coming to fight. He likes to stand up. So I, I love that about him. You know, he's not just here to be a one-style one fight. He's, he's there to fight. And anybody like that, I have respect for. Um, man, him being on the contending series before, he's been there before too. Yeah, he's He knows the drill. He knows the media. He knows the lights. Now he's like, okay, I expect him to be like, he's coming to fight. Uh, so this matchup, and I, I love it. I love the challenge. You know, I, I like somebody who's eight and one. I love somebody who's been in the fight business for a while. I love somebody that is comes from a good camp. He comes from a good camp in Colorado. They coach him and they coached him well for his last fight and the fight before that on contender series though he lost. I believe he's a good fighter. 
I like some of his tools, man. He has a nice kick. He has a nice rear hand. His lead teeth is pretty cool. He's pretty solid, too. So, for me, it's like those are the fights that I want. Those are the fights that, you know, when I claim victory, that it's a fight I can say, okay, this is a little trophy you put up here, and you respect the fighter for what he brought. And, you know, I hope he gets in the UFC one day after that. I love it. So now before I let you go, I do want a prediction out of you. What do you what do you see happening in this fight? How do you see it ending? Man, I believe I so this fight showed me, showed the best version of myself, step in there, have fun, attack from the get go, uh, move around a bunch, dominate, and then I would finish the fight in the first or second round. If not, then it's gonna go three rounds dominating and finish with my hand raised. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Impa Kasangane, who fights Anthony Adams on week two of Contender Series on August 11th. Impa, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me on. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed those interviews. The UFC, it keeps rolling. I'm joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, obviously, we've got a Tuesday event this week with the Contender Series and then another one with Impa on it. How excited are you for the return of the Contender Series? On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a solid 8. I'm a huge fan of the Contender Series. I think it's a much uh, better use of time and building prospects than those last few seasons of the Ultimate Fighter were. So I think it's a great evolution uh, from the Ultimate Fighter. And I know there are some rumors that the Ultimate Fighter might come back. I don't know if you can uh, quantify or qualify that that is in fact true, but if it never does come back, I'm very happy with Contender Series. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's coming back for sure. And the one thing I will say about the Ultimate Fighter that, that seems kind of dated about it is like, you, you know, in order to find really good prospects now, you got to see a lot of fights, right? Like what separates the guy who ought to just barely get into the UFC from 10 guys who shouldn't? And it's really a fine line nowadays. So when we just stick 16 guys in a house... The odds of hitting a jackpot in those 16, I think, is so small. Whereas on Contender Series, you're getting 10 guys every single night, eight weeks in a row. We're getting 80 guys in a season instead of getting 16 guys in a season. And I think that's why you're seeing people like Sean O'Malley pop up or you're seeing, you know, Jeff Neal or Edmund Shabazian, even though he lost recently. Like, those guys are killers in top 15 guys in their division, absolute beasts. And I just don't think you'll ever see that out of Tough ever again just because of the format of it. Yeah, you're completely right. It was so unique at the time, too, because the divisions weren't as robust as they are now. So, you know, I think you said it perfectly. Like, what separates a prospect who's 6-0 and that just gets on the UFC versus one who makes his way through the Ultimate Fighter not much other than that guy that went through the ultimate fighter house was able to, you know, I guess show some personality, not go crazy in a house with 19 other dudes and was able to win three fights in the span of six weeks. Very impressive, but it doesn't really do much over the other seven guys who are going to be on that undercard with him that have the same record. Uh, So it was like a lot of reality TV drama to not really get you anywhere. There was something very cool back in the day about an up-and-coming fighter being vaulted almost to the top of a division instantly because the divisions weren't as, as you know, like I said, robust as they were back in the day. So the Contender Series, it seems like a very natural evolution that it's just adding another fun prospect 
to what's already pretty stacked undercards with up-and-coming fighters, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's letting people know who those undercard fighters are before they're on the undercard, which gives a little bit extra value to the TV or you know to the to the televised product as well. And the other last thing I'll say about the Contender Series that I think is just so much better than tough is that you also have to remember these guys are getting their own coaching leading into these fights. And I think not enough can be said about that because we've seen people go on the Ultimate Fighter and that's been one of their big complaints. You know, like I'm having a tough time with this new coach or this training method or I really want to do it my own way. I mean, remember Roy Nelson on the show didn't want to train at all. Like he got really mad at Rashad Evans time to time because he hated the way they were training. And he's like, dude, I've been an MMA fighter longer than you have. Why am I changing my training methods to fit you? And like the ability to have your own coach take you into the corner and do the things that you've been doing for years. And the reason you got to that level, I think is just freaking huge. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you uh, what allows us to do what we want to do and shine the way we want to shine is our favorite segment on the show fights dogs and parlays we're of course breaking down this week's fights headlined by lewis versus olenic uh but before we get into it gumby i'm curious does anyone sponsor our favorite segment fights dogs and parlays well of course fights dogs and parlays is brought to you by my bookie visit mybookie.ag for the best online and mobile gambling experience you can possibly find a lot of those other sites have mobile apps or just a mobile page that is an absolute nightmare to work through not my bookie it is quick it is easy and you're not going to have to worry about those pages taking forever to load while you're trying to bet live or bet just before a fight so head on over to mybookie.ag they've also got great deposit bonuses going right now and they accept cryptocurrency so check out all of their available features mybookie.ag all right, let's start with the main event, as we normally do. Derek Lewis, a very heavy minus 265 favorite. He's coming off a win over Alir Latifi, uh, beat Blagoy Ivanov before that, lost to Junior Dos Santos before that, and lost to Daniel Cormier in a title fight before that. So he's 2-2 two and two in his last four. Alexi Olenek on a nice two-fight win streak, beat Maurice Green via armbar, then took a split decision win over Fabricio over Doom. He lost to Walt Harris via KO and Alistair Overeem via TKO before that. Both those fights were in 2019. He already has two wins in 2020, fighting Maurice Green in January and then Verdum in May. So he also is two and two in his last four, but betting off as a plus 225 dog, who you got? I'm going to go with Derek Lewis on this one, but I will say that I don't like where those odds are currently chilling. Negative 265. For a guy like Derek Lewis, who is wildly inconsistent, is a little worrisome to me. I feel much better in the high 100s than I would in the mid to high 200s. But let, let's face it here. Derek Lewis is a favorite for a reason. He's way higher up. He's fought way higher competition. And Alexi Olenek is a guy who, in both of those last two fights that you mentioned, the one with Verdum and the one with Maurice Green, where he won based on being the more durable guy. By being a guy against Verdum who got off to a better start and watched Verdum get more tired than he was at 150 years old or however old he actually is. And a similar thing happened to Maurice Green. They got to the ground. Maurice Green tired out and an arm bar opened up. So, you know, with Alexi Olenek being a guy who pretty much outlasted two recent opponents, like you're not going to outlast Derek Lewis unless you have amazing cardio and are still staying away from his big shots late in the fight. Cause he's proven 
that whether it is the third round, the fourth round, or even the fifth round, he's got knockout power late in fights. I mean, we saw him do it to Shamil Abdurakhimov in a main event in Albany, New York. It took him till the fourth round to really get going, and he knocked him cold. He did the same thing to Alexander Volkov, who styled on him for 14 and a half minutes before he got knocked cold. And for me, if I'm thinking about Alexi Olenek, even if he were to get out to an amazing start, even if he were to, to have slightly better cardio, he's still going to be tired late in that fight. He's still going to be susceptible to that big right-handed Derek Lewis. Uh, I am not going to disagree with anything you said. We'll move on. Chris Weidman is a minus 110 favorite over Amari Akhmedov, uh, who's also betting off at minus 110 in most, in most books. So basically Vegas telling you they don't really know what to think, but neither is an underdog. Weidman, it's like you blinked, and all of a sudden he's on a two-fight losing streak. Last win against Kelvin Gastelum back in July of 2017. Lost Jacques Ray and Dominic Reyes via KO uh, in his last two fights. And really, going back to May of 2015, when he defended the middleweight title and beat Vitor Belfort via TKO in a dominant performance, since that time, uh, starting with losing his title to Luke Rockhold later this year, he is one and five in his last six uh, and trying to right the ship of his career. Omari Akhmedov is on a three-fight win streak, uh, wins over Tim Bosch, Zach Cummings, Ian Heinish, had a draw with Marvin Vittori, and then before that beat Abdul Razak Hassan and Kyle Noak. So he is 5-0-1 oh, in his last six and just on a completely different career trajectory than Chris Weidman. Who are you taking here? I think I'm leading Omari Akhmedov in this one. Uh, you know, being a guy who, who doesn't look like he's on a downward spiral. You know, like you said, you know, read off Akhmedov's last six fights and he's got five wins and a draw. How do you not pick him against the guy who seems to be on a downward skid that is not pretty? The only thing that does give me pause is in that last fight, Omari Akhmedov did concede quite a few takedowns to Ian Heinish. And not that Ian Heinish is not a good wrestler, but I still do rate Chris Weidman's wrestling a little bit higher. The problem for me is just that Chris Weidman is going to have to stay on top of him and going to have to try to sub him or, you know, TKO him with some ground and pound in order to, to pick up the stoppage there. And for me, I just don't see Hein or uh, Akhmedov as a guy who's easy to stop. He hasn't been stopped since he was back at welterweight. Um, and since then, he's been on an absolute tear. So uh, I have a tough time seeing Chris Weidman outlast him in that way. So I'm leaning Akhmedov. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what Chris Weidman does, having abandoned middleweight, go to light heavyweight, get knocked silly in his first fight up there, and now all of a sudden he's a middleweight again. So I'm interested to see what the weight does to him. I'm interested to see how he wrestles again. You know, like if we see the Chris Weidman who fought Calvin Gastelum, you know, maybe we're looking at something pretty special because he took a beating in that fight and still was able to grapple him up. I just don't see him being able to do that against Akhmedov. I'll tell you what I think is special, and that's Benil Darouche, who's a minus-155 favorite against Scott Holtzman, a plus-135 dog. Benil Darouche lost to Alexander Hernandez back in March of 2018, and since that time is on a four-fight win streak, unanimous decision win over Tiago Moises, then a triangle armbar over Drew Dober for a win, a rear naked choke over Frank Camacho for a win, and is coming off a KO of Drakkar Close back in March of 2020. So a very dominant four-fight win streak for him. Scott Holtzman, the underdog, is actually on a two-fight win streak himself. 
uh, TKO of Dung Hung Ma, and then a decision, unanimous decision win over uh, a favorite of our show, Jim Miller, lost to Nick Lentz before that back in February of 2019. So two and one in his last three. But if you peel it back even further, he was on a three-fight win streak before that in 2017 and 2018. So he is five and one in his last six. But the dog here, who you taking? I think I'm actually going to take Scott Holtzman in this fight, even though he's the underdog here. You know, I look back at his record and what he's been able to do in the UFC. And one of the things that really sticks out to me is I think his striking is much better than Benil Dariush. I think that's obviously his path to victory here is that, you know, he throws a lot of strikes. You know, he landed 88 against Jim Miller, who's a notoriously durable kind of guy. He landed, you know, 100 in a previous fight. So Scott Holtzman is a guy who pours it on and his striking is really good. He's got heavy hands. He, he can pick up TKOs. Benil Dariush did have that absolutely phenomenal knockout in his last fight against Drakkar Kloza, but I don't see him as a threat on the feet to somebody like Scott Holtzman, which leads you to ask, can he grapple him up? Well, that's a really great question, but Scott Holtzman is an enormous, enormous lightweight. He's very physically big. He's very physically strong. It'll be interesting to see if the technique of Dariush can get him down and sub him. But I'm saying if he isn't able to, I think it's going to be a long day for Benil Dariush, and I actually like the underdog here. Well, I'll tell you, he is a nice underdog to bet on. I don't disagree with you. I'm taking Dariush myself, but our official Top Turtle Underdog of the Week is an even bigger underdog than Scott Holtzman, and it's Justin James at plus 165 over Gavin Tucker, the favorite. Yeah, and I think the reason that he's getting plugged here at, at plus 165 is because Gavin Tucker's last time out, everybody knew him as a slugger. He comes out his last time and puts on an absolute grappling clinic and puts up, picks up a rear naked choke victory. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, this is a very well-rounded fighter now. He's got the slugging ability. He's got the takedown ability. He's going to be fighting a guy who, A, not only is bigger, he's coming down from 155 pounds to fight at 145 pounds, but he used to wrestle collegiately at 165 pounds. So this dude is big and used to wrestling big guys. So, you know, we're going to see Gavin Tucker, if he tries to implement that grappling game, I think he's going to see it go very badly. Now, of course, there's still a slugfest option here, but we also just saw Justin James knock out Frank the Crank Camacho in 41 seconds on short notice. And Frank Camacho, again, one of those guys who's been in absolute bloody wars and not been knocked out. Justin James does it in 41 seconds. So for me, a guy who's got great wrestling defense that maybe the common fan or the common better doesn't know about, here is a great secret to know that, you know, if this does wind up a slugfest, maybe it's a 50-50 bet, but at plus 165, why wouldn't you want the 50-50 coin flip? Well, I'll give you another great secret. Uh, it's parlays. Play multiple teams or fighters together in this case. And sometimes even take two favorites, play them together. They both, of course, have to hit, but it gets you plus money. And that's what we're doing this week, our parlay to play. Yusef Zalal is a minus 325 favorite, very strong favorite. But pair them together with Darren Stewart at minus 165. Hey, guess what? You're going to get yourself plus 110 odds. Why do you like the combo? So I like Yusuf Zalal for a lot of reasons. First of all, he's 2-0 in uh, in 2020 already. Just kind of like Alexi Olenek, he's been getting a lot of work in. And the thing is, is he's got very fancy striking, which people are really high on, which is why you see odds so crazy. But in addition to that, he's also got great wrestling. And, and at 23 years old, he's fighting a guy who has shown 
huge wrestling and, and grappling weaknesses in Peter Barrett. He's got a couple of submission and losses on the regional scene um, to guys like I know, like like Connor Barry from the Northeast. So he's going to be fighting Yusuf Zalal, a guy who is much higher level than the guys he's been fighting, can probably beat him on the feet, and definitely will beat him on the ground if he chooses to go there. So Zalal, to me, is a slam dunk. But of course, at negative 325, you don't want to leave those odds by themselves. So I paired him with Darren Stewart here. And the reason I like Darren Stewart is he's fighting Maki Pitolo, a guy who likes to swing, right? So you got two guys here who like to swing. Darren Stewart, a much more natural 185-er, whereas Maki Pitolo lost to a guy in Callan Potter because he was a little bit weaker, because he wasn't quite as strong. So I love Darren Stewart here as a big, strong 185-er to sort of manhandle Pitolo and be the one to land that big punch. So pair those two together, get plus money odds. I can't see any reason you can go wrong there. You can't go wrong with that, and you can't go wrong with us. We'll, of course, be tweeting during the show at Top Turtle MMA. Follow along with us. We like to make sarcastic, witty comments. And, of course, you can let us know if we did you dirty on some of this gambling advice or if we did if we did right by you. Let us know that, too. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. That wraps it up for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Gumby, why don't you wrap up the show as a whole? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank Flow Combat, the mothership, for having us on, and our sponsors, Maroon Social and MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag. Make sure you check out our social media, both at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter and Instagram. All kinds of cool things going on in those two spots, so make sure you are following along. You can also check us out on YouTube. We often have couple of interviews going up there where you can see the whole interview with Justin James this week on our YouTube as well if you'd like the visual instead. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Reeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonti. We'll catch you then.